Good morning, Harmony. How are we doing? It's a good day, isn't it? It's a good day because we are in God's house. We are in the most beautiful place in the world we could possibly be doing the one thing we were made to do when He created us. Uh, before we jump into the Word today, I did just want to give um, a couple reminders uh, on a few things coming up. So one, today's an awesome day. Uh, we have child dedication here at the end of service. Uh, child dedication is a time for us to think about our families and our children that God has given us and how one, we as a church family need to lift up those parents and lift up those children and pray continually for God to give them grace, wisdom, and instruction as they move through life. Uh, with thinking about our kids, we got school start, and the other thing that's going to happen for us is uh, next, not next weekend, but the first weekend of September, so two weekends away, we'll have promotion Sunday for our kids back in the children's program. That means some of them will be moving up to the oldest class, and some of them will be coming to join us in big church, as they call it, big church. So uh, be prepared for that. Teachers should be talking to the kids about it, but we might have a few other little guys joining us in a few weeks, so let's make sure when they show up, they feel welcomed and they're excited to be here with with us. Uh, a reminder, I'm out the next two Sundays. So next Sunday, Brother Joe's bringing the word for us. The following Sunday, Brother Raymond's bringing the word for us. And I told you, Brother Raymond's been working on this sermon for months. So he is like ready to burst at the seams. So be ready for that sermon. I can't promise how long or how short it will be. All right, It might be a, a, a good long one. So uh, he'll be excited to be with you guys. I appreciate everybody uh, giving me a couple of weeks to, to have some time with the family. So we're excited for that. All right, you guys ready? Let's get into the Word. All right, so we've been in Ephesians chapter 6 for a while now, and we've really been in Ephesians as a whole for a while now. And in Ephesians, what we've been looking at is a few things. Chapters 1 through 4 were really Paul reminding us of who we are. So he was reminding us that we were sinners, but then we've been saved by this almighty and awesome God who had poured down His love and His grace upon us. And then really from those chapters forward, the focus was, okay, you know who you are. Who you are should change how you live. And so he starts to talk to us and he really starts to step on our toes about very specific things like how we work, how our marriages work, how we raise our children, how our sexual relationships are. All of these things he starts digging onto, and his whole point is, is brothers and sisters, if God lives in you, if the almighty creator of the universe is alive in you, it should change the way you live. Amen. Does it mean that we're perfect? No. But my goodness, if that almighty power lives in you, you shouldn't be able to hide it. And it should be so apparent in everything you do, everything you say, and the way you live your life. And so really, those first chapters, he's kind of painting. This is who you are. This is how you should live. Then he gets to chapter 6, and in closing, he throws out some big, meaty stuff to us, and he starts talking about this armor of God. His whole point with the armor of God is, look, I've told you, brothers and sisters, you know who you are. You know you've been empowered by God. And you know you've been equipped by Him. But don't let that confuse you into thinking this is going to be easy. You are going to be at spiritual war the whole time you're here on earth. And the reason he wants his people to get this is he wants them to understand, hey, there's going to be days life hits you in the face. There's going to be days where bad things happen. There might be years of stress, turmoil, hurt, and pain. And what I don't want is that you, the believers of God, when that happens, for you to look up and go, Lord, what's happening? What's going on? Have you left me? Have you forgotten about me? 
He wants his people to remember you live behind enemy lines. You live in the territory of Satan. And while your God has empowered you and equipped you, you are at war. So be prepared. Armor up. And be ready for the fight. The analogy for me is much like it's like if you were a boxer but didn't know you were a boxer, you'd get into a ring and be shocked people were punching you. Oh my gosh, what is this guy doing? Why am I getting hit? Paul wants to go, you're a boxer. You should expect in the ring, you're going to get hit. And when you get hit, it shouldn't surprise you. You should go, saw that coming. Ready for the next one. And so that's the mentality he wants us to have. Now, as we've gone throughout Ephesians, there's one verse we've kept pulling back to, and that's in John 15.5. In John 15.5, there's this beautiful analogy that Jesus gives us of the relationship that we have with him. And he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus' point in this passage is that as Christians, true disciples of Christ, there's a dynamic change in the way that you and I approach life compared to everyone else. Other people, even those who will say they have a relationship with God, often what they do is they try to live life in their own power, in their own wisdom, in their own strength first. And only after they fail do they then go, God help me. I'm at the end of my rope. I'm at the end of my wits. I'm empty. I need you to fill me. And in this verse, what Jesus is describing is the way a true disciple should live. I don't end with Christ. I start with Christ. I wake up in the morning. I fall to my knees and I go, Father, where shall I go? Father, what shall I do? Father, I need your love, your power, your wisdom pouring through me. And that is a dynamic shift in the way that most people approach their relationships with God. And Jesus' point is, when you do this, a couple cool things happen. One, you will bear fruit. It's impossible for you not to. Because it will be His love, His wisdom, His grace pouring into you and it will overflow. So instead of you having to focus on these behaviors being produced in your life, they will happen. It will be an unstoppable force because God is pouring into you. The second reason it's so important is God's standard is impossible for man by himself. I mean, let's just be honest. Have you ever had those moments you're reading scripture and you're like, I can't do all this. I'm not that good. I, I, I struggle with 10% of this. And God goes, yeah, exactly. Which is why you start with me, not end with me. You need my power to make the impossible possible. Amen. And that's the focus of the scripture. These standards God has asked for are very high. But if we are working in his power, they're completely achievable. Amen. It's only when we're trying to do them on ourselves that we will find failure continually follows us. So as we look through this and we think about this, I'm empowered by Christ. I focus on Christ. Paul finishes Ephesians by going, yes, you're at war, but God's equipped you. Let me walk you through the armor that he has given you. And so in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, he breaks down this armor for us. Let's go ahead and flip there. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having to do all, stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And so he presents this armor to us spiritually. Now, a couple things to remember. One... The first pieces of armor, the breastplate, the belt, and the shoes, he uses the verb to put on. And it's a one-time action. Meaning you and I, we put those shoes of readiness on, we put that breastplate of righteousness on, we put our, our belt of truth on, and we don't ever take them off. And the key to that is, you and I stink at having perception into the spiritual things. So you and I thinking, oh, I have the luxury to take the armor off today because today is going to be an easy day. You don't know. Often it's in the days that you predict it will be the smoothest and easiest that Satan is most prepared to take you out. So the point of this armor is it comes on, it stays on. And I will permanently be ready to fight. And so let's recap those. First, the belt of truth. What does it do? The belt of truth cuts away the excess. It shows that you're ready to move. And what it shows is I have an attitude of commitment. I am committed to this journey with God. I understand who I am. I understand who He is. I'm ready. Then we said the second piece was the breastplate of righteousness. And what does the breastplate do? The breastplate says, enemy, when you look at me, don't see Luke. When you look at me, don't see a sinner. When you look at me, you see the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And enemy, you realize when you come against me, you stand against no man. You stand against the Savior. You stand against the Son of God. It is that power, it is that might that you are about to face. And so not only does this righteousness make us right with God, but it also screams to the world, I am part of God's army. It's a sense of identity. The third piece we talked about is the shoes. And what we said about the shoes is this. The shoes are almost the second piece, the other side of the coin to the breastplate. The breastplate screams to your enemy, to the outside world, this is who I am. I belong to Jesus. The shoes, which were much like cleats, what they do is they allow you to dig in. And what those show is a confidence that you know who you are. That yes, not only are you putting something out to the world saying, this is who I am, but you confidently can dig your feet in and go, you can't move me. I know who I am to my Father. I know that He is by my side. I know that I am secure in Him. And let's be honest, those are two very different things. In our world, we've actually gotten very good at the breastplate stuff. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, right? We are great at crafting an artificial facade that says our lives are fantastic, right? I mean, you ever see these people at dinner and they're taking the selfie and it takes them 25 minutes to get the picture that looks like they just took it real quick, right? Because you got to get the right angle, right? Got to get the one where the bald spot's not showing. I look a little bit skinnier than I normally do, right? But I don't want it to look staged because I don't want you thinking I took 25 minutes to take this photo. Right, so we're good at the breastplate stuff. Oh yes, everything is great. Everything's fantastic. What we're terrible at is the shoes of gospel peace. 
Because as soon as we pull away that facade, what we find a lot of people is dealing with a lot of self-esteem, confidence, and identity issues. And so there's two coins there, right? There's two sides of the coin. Can you show your enemy this is who I am? And do you confidently know in your own heart, I know who I am? Then he points to three other pieces of armor. And we talked about two of them last week. These last, these last three are the ones that you take up in the immediate moment of attack. So the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel shoes of peace, those I am always wearing all the time, 100%. But then in the moment where I go, the fiery arrows are coming. I'm in the midst of attack now. I pick up the shield of faith. And what that shield of faith says is I am faithful. I am faithful to my God. When a temptation comes my way, and I have to choose between my own wisdom and the world's wisdom, or Christ's wisdom, I trust Him. I trust Him. I am faithful to the point that when I have to choose, I will always fail to choose, or I will always choose to choose Him. Amen. That's my default. The second is, is I know the Word, and that's where my faith comes from. Amen. So I know what God expects of me. I know what His Word says. I know what He wants to me to do because I understand what He has written to me in that Word. And so we start to see how this whole armor comes together. Some are protective, some are actually action items that we're using in the moment of intense battle. The last one we cover is today the helmet of salvation. Now it's funny because a lot of people have a misperception of the helmet of salvation. They read and they go, oh, well that just means I need to be saved. Well let's be real here, right? We're talking about an armor of God. This entire book of Ephesians is not written to non-Christians. The entire book of Ephesians is written to Christians. And it's talking about Christians, when you're in spiritual warfare, this is the armor to put on. So when we talk about the Christian putting on salvation, they need to be saved, it's kind of a silly point because the only reason they're in the war is they were saved. So what is Paul getting at when he talks about put on the helmet of salvation? Why is salvation so important to protect our head? And so as we look through Scripture, we'll get a little bit more depth on this. So again, Ephesians 6, 16, and 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Notice the salvation. Where does it protect? Protect your head. Which we all know is essential, because if this goes, it really doesn't matter what else is protected. Right? This is an essential thing for us to keep front and center. Now, if we look at 1 Thessalonians 5.8, it starts to give us a little bit more detail where Paul uses the same analogy to talk about the helmet. But notice he adds a word in that gives us a little bit more context. He says, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So not only is this the past action of salvation, this is a future hope of salvation to come. And so I want you to pay attention big time today because a lot of people have a lot of confusion and I often as a pastor get a question that sounds like this. How do I know I'm saved? You know, I got baptized when I was young, but I got to be honest, there was a period of my time I wasn't doing the right things. Um, I, I kind of got off track and I don't know where I stand now. Did, does, did that take? Did the original prayer and baptism and all that save my soul? Or do I need to do it again? And with a lot of people, you even have these moments where if they have a big failing in their life, they almost feel like it's invalidated that they were saved. Well, I made this commitment, but then I went and did this. I mean, what does that mean about me? 
And so I want you to pay attention because there's a few things God wants us to have. And the first is, if you are saved, meaning you acknowledge Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, you acknowledge that three days later, <clears throat> in the power of God was resurrected, and you, because of those truths, have committed your life to serving Him, that is a one-time action that happens and you are saved forever. Amen. Because here's what God teaches. Salvation is not you being close to Jesus. It is you being one with Jesus. And that moment where you are born again, we will never rip Him from you. If you have been reborn with Him united to you, there's not a force in this world that is ever going to pull Christ away from your soul. And brothers and sisters, that's important to know because guess what? All of us mess up. All of us. Every single person who has fallen on their knees, prayed to God and asked Him to come into their lives, after that moment has still repeatedly gone and sinned. Every single one of us. And what we can't have happening is for the army of God that every time they sin, which is every day, to then question, do I still belong to the family? I don't know about you, but I've been in those human relationships where you weren't secure. And what kind of stress does that cause? If you've ever been in those human relationships where you are not confident in the relationship, the stress it creates is unbelievable. Because every fight you wonder, is this the fight? Is this the last fight we'll ever have? Every disagreement you wonder, is this the one that's going to put us over the edge? Every time they don't return a phone call, don't return a text, or you don't know where they're at, you wonder, what are they doing? What's going on? What's happening? The insecurity will drive you crazy. Now, especially take that to the eternal perspective. Is my soul okay? If I die today, will I be okay? Who wants to have that kind of stress in their lives? And so God goes, understand this about salvation. There's three phases to it. The first is a phase called justification. Alright? In justification, what happens is, God on the cross dies, and in that moment, He takes you, who owe a debt of sin, a debt that can only be paid by spiritual death, and what does Christ do? He pays it. He went to the cross with no sin, sacrificially died, and said, I pay their debt. They owed you. God, now they don't. I show up and I pay. And so in Romans 5.1, we start to see things like this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So past tense. Because Jesus died on that cross, because I accepted that gift, I have been justified by God, meaning that when He looks down on me, He no longer sees a guilty sinner. He sees the righteousness of His Son. And because of that, where we once were split apart, we are now put together. So, big difference. Why, why do Protestants not have priests, but Catholics do? Well, in the Old Testament, you had, you had priests. Why? The belief was, God's here, people are here, sin separates them. They can't talk to each other. So, I'm going to give you a priest who will be a go-between, and he will take my messages to you and your messages to me. But we can't be together. The sin's too much. But what we believe is we study the cross and we go, Jesus died there. He died and He wiped out that sin so this gap doesn't exist anymore. Amen. I don't need a go-between anymore. 
Christ died on that cross so I could go to God the Father myself and talk to Him face to face. So I don't want to go between anymore because my Savior died to close that gap. And so what does that give me? It gives me peace with God that I know I'm His, He's mine. That doesn't change. So if you've been saved, you are saved, and you will always be saved. You can have confidence in that. Look at Galatians 3.24. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. What's Paul saying? In the old days before Christ, it was about your actions. Every time you sinned, what did you need to do? Repent, make an offering, and make sure you were clear. That law doesn't exist anymore. Not that the law is not of value and doesn't teach us morals, but now that's not what cleanses you. Christ cleansed you through faith, and now you're right with God. And so we need to have that peace in our hearts. It goes back to those shoes. If I'm questioning whether I'm saved or not, am I going to be a good soldier? No, I don't even know if I should be on the field. Let alone be ready to take the brunt of the, the devil. So this confidence has to come in a piece that goes, I know I belong to the family. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I might be the black sheep, but I'm part of the family. And that ain't ever changing. So justification is about what Christ did on the cross, about wiping out that initial debt, and that is done and completed. Now, there's a second term, and this is where salvation occurs ongoing. It's the process of what we call sanctification. Because let's be honest for a second. If the moment Christ died and I accept Him as my Lord and Savior, that washes me clean of all past sin. Is that good enough for you and me? I, I can tell you it's not good enough for me. Because if he cleansed all the sin that I had up until that moment I'm saved, do you know what's happening in the next 10 minutes? I'm collecting new debt from new sins that I won't be able to pay again. So not only do I need someone to have written me a check to get me out of the past debt, I need someone who's actually walking by my side and as I keep getting dirty, keep wipes, wiping me down. It's kind of like moms, if you have a toddler, you know this process, right? All day they're walking getting dirty, and all day you're walking with a wipe in your hand cleansing them, right? Just this constant, ongoing process. Just always happening. Now, you normally lose as a parent of a toddler, right? I love Jake. By the end of the day, you can look at Jake's shirt and know what Jake's day was. You know what he ate. You know where he went. You know everything that happened. It's like a record of the day. But imagine that same kind of picture with Christ. Not only did he wipe away the original sin and debt you had, but now his active participation in your life is every day, Christ is walking by me, and every time I mess up, he's going, Dad, I got it. He's clean. Dad, I got it. He's clean. Dad, I got it. He's clean. Just constantly sanctifying me. And so in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Paul talks of this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Christ Jesus. So not only have I been justified in the past, but currently I'm going through a process where I keep getting cleansed, I keep getting righteous. Now, brothers and sisters, there's a, a little footnote I'll put to this. Some of us, we take advantage of this. We go, ah, he's going to take care of me anyway. Might as well go jump in the mud. I mean, if he's just going to be there washing me off, I'm just going to get dirty. Christ will take care of it. 
The problem with that is not that Christ won't take care of it. It's that it shows something's broken in your relationship with Him. If, if you know He's trying to keep you clean and you don't care about keeping clean, it shows that there's not a love there with Him that's right. You know, if you know your mom and dad are trying to do something, it doesn't mean you might not mess it up. But it's another thing to be like, I'm going to purposely mess it up. And so Christians sometimes get sideways on this because some people, they're so focused on being sanctified that they become about their achievements, their behaviors, and what they've done, and they almost want to make themselves feel better than you. Because here's the thing, right? If you compare yourself to God as a Christian, what will you always feel? You're not good enough. So what do we tend to do? I'll stop comparing myself to God. I'll compare myself to you guys. And what slowly starts to happen is if I'm comparing myself to you is not only am I going to want to make myself feel better, but I'm going to want to point out everything you do wrong to make me feel like I'm ahead of class. Oh, you see these fools? Better than you guys. I know I'm not Jesus standard, but my goodness, if Jesus is looking at our church, I'm in the top ten. Right? I mean, clearly. He's got bigger issues to deal with. We don't want that kind of spirit. We're supposed to be a family. We're supposed to be lifting all of ourselves up. But when you get into that game, what you're actually doing is you're always pushing everybody down. Because you're not really secure in your own position. We don't need that. We don't need that. If you ever want to test that you're there, I ask you to do this little test. Go meet new people and tell me about the first judgments you make on them. Are you the type of person that when you meet someone brand new, you first start noticing the positives of them? Or do you first start noticing the negatives of them? If you're the type of person that in the first 30 seconds you meet someone, you're like, well, that's an unfashionable wardrobe choice. What kind of name is that? I mean, who, their parents must have been interesting people to name them that. If that's you, like, okay, we got to work on this a little bit, right? Love's not pouring forth. All right? We probably got to get a little bit better at meeting them and be like, man, what a great smile. What a friendly person. Right? We should be looking for those kind of things in our lives. All right? So not only have I been justified, but God is continually sanctifying me, and I shouldn't be trying to mess that up. The sanctification keeps occurring. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And such were some of you. So he's just listed this big long list of sinners. And he goes, and remember, some of you guys were those things. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So the beauty of the humility a Christian is supposed to have is they go, I get you're a mess up. And why I don't judge you on that is I used to be a huge mess up. And frankly, if God wasn't cleansing me every day, I'd still be a huge mess up. So you're going to get no judgment here. Because I've walked your path, I understand the world you're in. But brothers, let me show you another way we could do this. Instead of you wallowing over there in that mud, I can offer you the same thing that I experience through His grace, through His love, through His forgiveness each and every day. So I've been justified. I am being sanctified. But then really where the helmet of salvation comes in for us is this one. Glorification. Glorification. And man, this, one, this is the one that gets me excited. This is the one that makes me like just get really excited about what is to come for us. Do you realize even after we have Christ in our lives, you and I just don't understand the damage sin has done to every day of our lives. Every day. You and I, we don't even, like, when you see a beautiful landscape, 
know that landscape is not as beautiful as it was supposed to be because of what sin has done in this world. We even see what the great human body and what it can accomplish and do. That's still nowhere what it was meant to be because sin is still decaying it and breaking it down. We have a glory waiting for us we really won't understand. If you ever want to see that, go read Revelation. In Revelation, John, who in my opinion is one of the most articulate and beautiful writers in the Bible, he's the guy that gives you these unbelievable analogies about Christ being the Word. And talking about he's the shepherd. I mean, beautiful, beautiful pictures. John sees heaven, and all of a sudden, John can't describe a thing. He's like, I I saw a rainbow, but it was green, and it went around forever. And you're like, John, that doesn't sound like a rainbow at all. A rainbow with only one color? That's not a rainbow. What do you mean? It just kept going in a circle. And you just see him, like, trying to describe. It was like an ocean, but of, like, crystals. I can't describe it to you. And what you realize is John had to be looking at something so beautiful, so amazing, that he's like, I don't have human words for this. I'm looking at something that is beyond the capability of my brain and my language to share with you. It's just that awesome. So I think about that all the time. Like, we're going to get there and be like, oh my goodness. It is beyond anything and everything I ever thought it could be. And so glorification is this hope of salvation that we have. And the reason you and I need this is the battle gets ugly. The battle gets ugly. So the reason that the helmet comes around our head with this hope of salvation is that Paul goes, guys, there's going to be moments in the battle you're going to want to quit. There is going to be moments in the battle where you're going to hit with doubt. You're going to be hit with discouragement. And you're going to want to go, is this all there is? You're going to want to stop. It's in those moments where your blood drenches the ground, when the sun is blotted out and your enemy's forceful blows just keep raining down. It's in those moments you need the hope of salvation that keeps calling you to stand back up. To remind yourself, this I'm going through It is but a whisper. It's but a mist. It will be gone, and in the perspective of eternity, I will barely remember this. It's in those dark, dark moments that we need the hope of salvation. And not just what we've already experienced, but what is to come. This is get up and keep fighting. Stand firm. And so that's what he's presenting to us in this passage. Look at 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. Peter opens up and he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Do you get that? Your full salvation still hasn't been revealed to you. Well, God has made you clean enough that you will get to go to heaven, that you will get to experience it there. When you get there, there is a stripping away of sin in a way you and I can't understand. That gift's waiting for you. And he says, look at the last part, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. 
His point is you hold on to that. You remember what's waiting for you at the end of the fight. You remember what's waiting for you at the end of the finish line. Anybody ever run track? Anybody run track here? My favorite part of running track was the last 150 meters for me. Now for me it was 150 meters because I wasn't a great track runner. Okay, great track runners, if they're running a long enough distance, it's a longer distance, but it was that 150 meters for me was what I called the kick. And the kick is this glorious moment where you've been running your race, and for me I ran the 800, which was two full sprint laps. So what would always happen is by that last half of the lap, or the last half of the last lap, you're done. Your lungs are feel like they're going to explode on you, your legs want to cramp up, really just like emotionally, you just want to quit. But there was always this beautiful moment where you'd hit that last half of the curve and you'd go, I see the line. I'd see the line. And in that moment, what I always loved was everything in my body was screaming, quit. And I'd go, uh-uh, the finish line's there. And it's always a fun thing to watch a race because with really great runners, this is what you always see. They're running fast and you think like they've given it all, they start to slow, you're like, oh, they're running out. And then they hit that last stretch and all of a sudden, boom, they're back in. And they're actually going, some of them, faster than they've gone the whole race. And it's not because their body wants to. It's because mentally they go, I can see the line. And I know what waits across that line for me. No one is stopping me from crossing this line. I may not win, but I will cross that line fully exhausted. There will be not a single ounce of energy that I will have left in my legs when I get to that line. That's the mentality we got to have sometimes. That's the mentality we've got to have sometimes when we're in the midst of the fight. I can see the glory waiting and no one's going to stop me from getting there. I know the enemy wants me to stop. I know my body wants to stop. I know my mind wants to stop. But my spirit is going to keep pushing. You will not keep me from that line. But you've got to have that focus of what's waiting for you. I'll be honest, a lot of people get upset that Christ didn't give us more details of what to expect in heaven. Right? You don't really have a great chapter in the Bible that tells you exactly what heaven's going to look like. I'm really glad we don't. What I know about heaven is this. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, you can know I'm coming back. So I go, if the creator of the universe and the one that knows me better than anybody else, if the one with unbelievable power and knowledge of me has gone to make a place just for me, I have no fear that it's going to be awesome. And I'm actually glad that it won't be spoiled at all. I love knowing that that day when I come to get, meet him, that I'm going to get to have a complete surprise of what he's put together for me. I'm excited for that day. And so that's the hope of salvation that each and every one of us has. That tells us to keep pushing forward. I want to share with him and jump ahead a little bit. Three things to kind of keep you focused on it. Alright? Remember, so Philippians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and troubling. What's he saying? Don't doubt that you've been saved, but keep fighting. Don't just, don't go jump in the mud. You know you've been justified, now help God with being sanctified. In your behaviors, in your actions, obey and follow through. Is what he's urging us to do. Then in Romans 13, 11, he says, Besides this, know that the time, know this, 
Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. So this is a weird one for Christians. Most people wake up every day and go, I'm a, close, a day closer to death. That sucks. In fact, most people are constantly trying to elongate that time. As Christians, you and I should actually wake up and go, I am one day closer to that day that I will see him. I am one day closer to being there in heaven. I am one day closer to that awesome glory. And then finally, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept that faith. That should be the burning flame in your heart. I know that my helmet of salvation gives me the hope to keep pushing through whatever my body wants to break down on me. I feel comfortable sharing this because Lily shared it a couple weeks ago, but if you ever want to know how dark the darkness can get, you watch your friends and your loved ones at the end of their lives. It was hard for us going through what we went through with Brother Milam over the last couple of years. And especially there would be Sundays where you'd show up and go talk to him and you'd realize he was struggling. He didn't know where he was. He didn't know when he was. He sometimes didn't know who you were. But you know what I loved about him is he had the helmet of salvation on. Because even in the midst of that doubt, even in the midst of what had to be fear, even in the midst of what had to be discouraging, do you know what he always did? He spoke the word. Even in the midst of what you know, if you were in his head with him, had to be unbelievable battles of fear and doubt, he never stopped pushing. He saw that what was waiting for him. He knew that glory was there. And even though what he had left was not much, he gave everything he had left to keep pushing forward. And so even in the midst of confusion and doubt and darkness, he would push towards God. He would use the word. He would stand his ground. I saw that man, man, that's what I want to be. I don't think I will ever win that war because I know my enemy is greater than me. I know it will be Christ who will win that war. I know one day I will die. That's how it happens for 100% of us. But man, I want to cross that finish line, holding that shield of faith, swinging that sword of the word, and standing there confidently knowing, I'm not going to go down without a fight. And man, that's what the great saints show us. It's not that they were perfect. Not that they never messed up. But even in the midst of the pain, even in the midst of the war, they don't give up. They stand firm. They stand firm. It's all God asks. And so brothers and sisters, as we've gone through this series, I hope you've sat there and you've gone, you know what? I'm putting the armor on. Amen. I will be ready. I know I can't stand toe-to-toe with Satan, but I know with my father by my side, I'm not giving him an inch. He can wail, he can swing, he can shoot his darts, he can bring anything and everything he's got. I'm not giving this ground. Because I know what waits me. And I know who's behind me. And we're not failing. Remember, he gave us not a spirit of timidity and fear, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Today's our child dedication service, and it was funny, I was thinking about should I change today's message to be about children? 
and I thought about what we've been talking about, I said, no. Because the prayer of these parents and these grandparents as they bring these kids up is that they understand and live in this armor. They're bringing us to help us pray for them and for these children because they understand they will live in a battlefield their whole life. Amen. And so what they're praying for is not just peace, but they're praying that those children are raised in a way that they are equipped to stand right there by us in the midst of those battles. And so as you think about these children that will stand before us and the parents and grandparents before them, you pray through that armor for them. You pray that these little children will have that belt of truth that tells them, I am committed to the Lord. You pray that they will have that breastplate of righteousness that says, I stand here not in my power, but in God's power. You pray that they stand there with the gospel peace that goes, I know I am a child of God and no one can change that. You pray that they stand there with a shield of faith that says, bring your arrows, Satan, because nothing you can throw my way can make me doubt. You pray that they stand there with the sword of spirit in their hands, the sword of the word saying, I know how to use this. You want to come at me? I am not defenseless. I have the greatest weapon this world has ever known and I know how to use it. Amen. And you pray finally that they stand there with that helmet of salvation going, I have been saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved to an extent I cannot even dream of. That's the prayer we have for them. I'm going to ask you guys to stand with me and before we bring the families up, I want you to take a few moments where you're at to go to the Lord in prayer. I want you to think about your own journey and where you stand. Some of you, you don't know the Lord yet. Not as your Lord. He's got armor waiting for you. He's got your name on it. And He's ready to give it to you any moment you're ready to join the army. And what He promises is, well, it will be a battle. It will be a battle that we will win victoriously and it will have joy and it will have love and it will have peace in it. For some of you, You've been given your armor, but it's time to dust it off. It's time to polish it up. It's time to put it on. And it's time to get back on the front lines. For others of you, you've been on the front lines. And you felt the blows. It's your time to get recharged. It's your time to remember what lies ahead for you and put it into the kick. Don't let your body tell you stop. You keep pushing forward. Wherever you are in that. You take your time to go to your commanding officer and you ask him, what are my orders, Father? How will you use me? And ask Brother Joe to come forward. I'm going to ask each of you to just take a few moments where you're at to go to the Lord in prayer.